Hey there. Hi. Um, welcome. It's good to have you at Warehouse. If you're here visiting, you're new here, and at any point during the service you wonder what in the world is going on, how do I find more information about this, there's a card nearby you. It says the power of hope. It's blue. Pick it up and fill out whatever information you want, any question you want, and give us your contact information, whether it's phone or email or however, uh, even mail. You could do that. You give us your address. We'll do it. And uh, we'll be happy to get in contact with you about absolutely anything at all. And uh, if during the service you write something down, you're wondering what do I do with this card, there's a yellow box by that door and at uh, the coffee room door, and you can just slide it in there. You can also, when we take up the offering later in the service, you can drop it in the offering basket. We are in week 10 of an 11-week series called The Power of Hope. And The Power of Hope is uh, based on a uh, four-chapter letter in the New Testament uh, called the letter to the Colossians. And the guy who's writing it, Paul, is writing to a very specific group of people about very specific issues. And what we've talked about in this series is that a primary focus is the power of hope. That uh, hope, rather than being something of wishful thinking, biblically, according to how God presents it to is hope is an actual thing. It's something secure. It's, it's a, a future guarantee of things that are already true. It's reality redefined in such a way that we can live proactively and with power. But what the uh, struggle always is, is to identify why and where we've lost power in our lives. Now, this series is not about power. It's about hope. In other words, I'm not saying everything there is to say about power. I'm probably not saying everything there is to say about hope either, but I'm not even attempting that with power. What I'm saying is that hope, biblical hope, provides a power for our lives which is unusually potent and effective. So as we launch in today, you may not be, if you're new here, you're not familiar with this, and if you are, maybe you've wondered all along why we do this. But what we always do at Warehouse at this point in the service is what we do what internally we call the lament, and it's a question. We, we think that below every issue we deal with, we, we hope to never be dealing with anything, talking about something that doesn't connect to real people's lives, dreams, hopes, fears, and questions. And so we ask ourselves, what's the question below the topic? What's the question that people wonder that we can talk about, that, that, our, that our topic talks about today? And then we usually frame it in terms of a song or a, a movie clip or something like that, some way of articulating the question, not the answer. The question. Today we're going to do it slightly differently in that you are going to handle the lament yourself. I'm going to give you the question. I'm just going to tell you what the question is. And then I'm going to give you three minutes. And I'm going to time it on my stopwatch on my iPhone. Three minutes I'm going to give you, which seems like three hours. I'm just going to be honest with you. Three minutes in a public place seems really long, but I'll time it. I'll give you three minutes to think about these two questions and hold on to what you think about throughout the talk. Question one, why do you feel powerless to change? I think how questions are overrated. They're just technique. You can learn almost any technique with enough effort. And so how do I change is less important than why don't I change? Why do I feel powerless to change? But perhaps to make this more practical, more active for you, a second question you can ask is what do I feel powerless to change? What's the thing or things in your life which you have set to the side because you no longer have hope that they'll change? It's not that you no longer believe they're important, although you may have convinced yourself of that, but you no longer believe they can change. You've lost hope. You've given up. What do you feel powerless in your change, to change in your life right now? I'm going to give you three minutes.
uh, college. I was fast. Really. Not so fast anymore, and I'm going to get slower and slower. But when I was in college, I was fast. And uh, in, my, in my college, I was in an intramural tournament called the Pangburn Trophy, and it was a big deal for fraternities. You know, the Pangburn. It, it was a big deal. And, and, and in the intramural competition, you couldn't compete in your own sport if you were a, a, you know, a, a, an athlete on a team. And so I couldn't play in the soccer team, but I could run on the track team. And so my fraternity came and asked me if I would run the 100 and the 220. And I was cocky enough, and I was like, sure, no problem. Yeah. I'll run the 100 220. I've never, never, that's still the only time I've ever been in a track meet. I, the only running I'd ever done was on a soccer field and sprints there and stuff. But I said, sure, no problem. I had no idea how to run a, a, a 100 or 220 in actual track meet, but I'm all for it. And I got there in some sneakers, uh, ready to roll, and one of my friends who was at, on the track team gave me my, his track shoes. I said, how interesting track shoes. They had little spikes on them and stuff. And so I put those on and felt fine. And I got ready to run the 100. And I did fine. I, you know, I, I came in third, and I, I was fine. It wasn't great. I, w I really expected to win, but I figured I got another race, and I'm just learning how to do this. And I'll, by the next time, I'll smoke everybody. So I got ready to do the 220. Yes, the 220. I know it's 200 meters now, but I'm old. And back when I went, we did that, it was 220, 220 yards. We were still American-speaking in yards, not meters. So it's the 220. The 220 runs halfway around the, the circle. You know, it's half a lap, but it runs around the circle. So Started out, I was doing fine. I hit the, I hit the turn. I was, I was, I was doing good. And uh, I was, I don't remember where I was, but the, the, the leader was barely ahead of me, and he was in my sights. And I was, I was figuring this is going to be no problem. We're going to turn the corner. And I'm going to blow them away. But I thought, you know, I'm just going to take a moment here, on the turn, because I'm a little tired. I'm just going to take a moment and just breeze through the turn, and then kick it into the next gear and just fly by him. So that's what I did. As I went through the turn, I, t I took a moment. <laughs> I just eased off the gas pedal a little bit and got around the turn, and now I'm going to obviously blow everybody away because I'm fast. And I couldn't. I, I, I turned the corner, and I had nothing. I mean, nothing left. And so I, I finished poorly. I mean, I was like in fourth out of six, which is, that's below average. It was not good. Because I, I misunderstood what it took to win that race, but I, I still remember the feeling, pretty intently, the feeling of, of, of a loss of power, you know, that I was absolutely powerless at that moment to do. I knew what I wanted to do. I, you know, there was no doubt what I wanted to do. I wanted to win. I even knew how to do it. What I would do is, this is why how-to is not that helpful. You know how you do it? You run faster than the other person, and you end up ahead of them. I, I knew that. I'm aware of the fact that in order to win, you have to run past the other people and be in front and hit the line first. I knew exactly how to do it. But I had no power to do it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't pull it off. This incredible feeling of impotence that I lacked what it took in that moment to accomplish that task. And afterwards, my, you know, my friend goes, oh, good job. You know, it's like, yeah, right. Uh, anyway, so what? It's a Pangburn Trophy. No one cares. However, that feeling of powerlessness in your life when things actually matter is a big deal. You know how to do it. You know what's supposed to happen. You're perfectly aware of what's supposed to happen in that relationship, in that activity. You know exactly what you're supposed to do. But you can't do it. You got it in your sights. You're going to put it into high gear, and you lack the power to do it. And so you fail. You fail to achieve what you wanted to. Oh, and then you try it again. It happens again. And after a few times, you weary of beating your head against the wall, and you do what any self-respecting person would do. You give up, because you can't do it. And if you can't do it, after all, you can't do it. So you give up. 
In this part of the series, we're talking about finishing well. And if you're 20 or 25, you're thinking, not that concerned about finishing well here. I haven't even hit the turn, you know. Old man, I've got lots of time to worry about finishing well. I understand that. I, however, am thinking about finishing well in terms of the end. I am. I'm, I'm thinking I'm two-thirds of the way through. I'm hoping I'm not like a third of the way through because then the last half is going to be pretty ugly. But I'm thinking I'm two-thirds of the way through. But I'm not talking about, hey, just get to your deathbed and have kept going forward, although I think that's a remarkable accomplishment, quite honestly, if you can get to the end of your life and still be moving forward. I do. I think it's a remarkable accomplishment. I'm more talking about this. When I talk about finishing well, I'm talking about making progress and the things that actually matter. And I'm going to tell you in a little bit as we go through this message, there's not a lot. I'm going to talk about two things that actually matter, making progress, continuing to move forward in the things that matter, not hitting stagnation, not giving up on things that are really important, continuing to move so that day by day, or maybe it's more cyclical, but you see at some level, you have the power to go up and to the right. I got, I'm not, I'm really not patient. I'm not, I'm not good at it. I'm bad at being patient. I'm not patient with patience. I'm not, it doesn't work for me. I'm not really, I really struggle with it. And so last week, my foot was not getting any better. I mean, really, no, it, it was not getting any better. I'm not moving more. I'm not walking better. I'm not feeling less pain. I could argue that I'm feeling more, was feeling more pain. I was getting very frustrated because I knew my foot wasn't going to be healed last week, but I wanted a little bit of movement. And my frustration was I started to see no movement and then all sorts of things play in my head. Is it ever going to heal? Is it and then yesterday, you know, I started to get a little bit of progress, you know. I started to be able to stand on it and walk a little bit. And so there's a certain sense that's all I want you to see is a little bit of movement because a little bit of movement over time keeps us encouraged. We see power. We see change. When I feel powerless to change something, you can't do anything honestly unless you're one of these relentlessly optimistic people who thinks that in spite of all the odds, things are going to get better. And you're probably not here if that's what you are. You'd be somewhere else. But if you're one of those relentlessly optimistic people, you could probably just, I'll just keep banging my head against the wall. And actually, it's probably good for me to hit my head against the wall. The rest of us give up because there's no hope. I think there's hope. I think there's hope to change in all the things that matter to us. You know me well enough, most of you, to know that I, I'm not going to feed you a line. I'm not going to tell you that so you'll feel better. It's not the power. I'm not going to say you should have hope and that power of positive thinking will propel you forward. There's actually a reason. Something has changed about reality that makes it possible for you to see change in your life and change in things that matter consistently over time so that you never stop moving forward. And that's what we're going to focus on today. Today and, and next week, we're going to talk about two things that this writer gives us two specific things he tells us which can allow us to stay in hope to stay connected to a hope that empowers our lives and so i'm going to look with you i'm going to read you five verses out of the fourth chapter of colossians and this is what it says Be devoted to prayer. Keep alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us too, that God may open a door for the message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. 
Pray that I may make it known as I should. Conduct yourself with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunities. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer everyone. Okay, first part. Be devoted to prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. One of the things Paul says, you want to, be in, you want to live in hope? Be devoted to prayer. Now, devoted there simply means consistent, steadfast, staying, staying in it, staying connected to it. So if you want to stay in hope, then, then you're, going to have to be, you're going to have to be praying. And then it moves on to the next part and says, keeping alert with it in thanksgiving. Uh, i got to be honest with you. The first dozen times I read that, no idea what he's talking about. It doesn't seem to fit, keeping alert with it with thanksgiving. It looked to me sort of like one of the things he did is he ta- tacked on two words at the end, with thanksgiving. We're supposed to put that in there because we're supposed to be thankful. Couldn't see how it fit. Later on, we're going to get to it later. But that was my first... Not my first thought. That was like my first 12 thoughts. Is I don't know, what, what do you mean keep alert with it in Thanksgiving? I get the keep alert part, but I don't know how Thanksgiving fits in this thing at all. I, I think I do now. But I want to read the next part of the next verse and then come back to this. Because the next thing he says is at the same time, pray for us too. All right. Now, when I see a line like that, at the same time, pray for us too. And I go, what do you mean at the same time, pray for us also? So in other words, in the first verse, I'm not praying for you all. I'm praying for me. One of the things, as I read this, I'm realizing is that be devoted in prayer, keep alert with thanksgiving. He's saying, pray for you. Be committed to pray for you. Because then he's going to say, at the same time, pray for somebody else and something else. So it must mean, you know, it's logic. It must mean in this verse, pray for you. Be committed to asking God for things for your own life. I'm sorry, this is slipping. I'll try to stop playing with it. But I'm powerless to change that. I will keep playing with it. It's fine to pray for your Aunt Matilda's ingrown toll that it gets better. That's awesome. I hope it gets better because, you know, when your feet hurt, it hurts. However, pray for you. I think it's an important distinction here. What he's saying to be devoted to, be committed to, be steadfast is praying for your own life. And then he uses this phrase, keep alert. It's keep watch. And what it made me think was, what what do you mean? Watch for what? While you're praying, keep watching. What exactly am I watching for? I'm watching for the things in my life that I need to pray for. Because if I'm not careful, I will completely ignore them. This verse, this phrase, keep alert, has the sense of of vigilance. I'm looking out for warning signs. And as I read it and I started thinking about it and started applying to my own life, what it made me think of is beware of the slide. Keep alert so that you don't start sliding, your soul doesn't start sliding away into things that will be devastating. Danger. Here's why. Nobody's life falls off the cliff in one day. Stuff may happen externally to you that feels like falling off the cliff, but nobody's soul goes downhill in one day. In other words, somebody doesn't, isn't today utterly devoted and faithful, having no thoughts of adultery, and that tomorrow they commit adultery out of the blue. Doesn't happen. Nobody today would never consider ever doing anything dishonest and tomorrow robs a bank. Doesn't happen. We slide. We have to keep watch because our soul will slide. It's not simply that we won't make progress. We'll go backwards. If we're not watching 
and careful, attentive to what goes on in our life, before you know it, you're going to end up in places you are shocked by. And so Paul says, look, when you're praying, one of the things I want you to do is to be attentive to what's happening in your own life because your tendency is to ignore it. Here's the thing. Yes, we don't turn the lights up in here. We don't present ourselves as uh, overly optimistic and uh, happy, shiny people. And I'm okay with that. And here's why. One of the dangers of seeing powerlessness in your life is refusing to acknowledge, even to yourself, that something has to change. To the extent that when you pray, you pray, well, I don't really need anything because I'm fine. I'm fine. You're in trouble. Nobody's fine. Nobody's life is without cracks. And Paul says, you, you really need to keep alert. Because if you don't keep alert, and if you go through your life believing, I'm just fine, my life is okay, doing great, well, either you're, you're measuring the wrong things, or you're lying to yourself. Maybe what happens is your reason why you're fine is because you've tried to be not fine. You've tried to be better. And it hasn't worked. And you're tired. And so you change the rules of the game in a way that you can win. Very dangerous. Paul says, pray for yourself. Pray to watch the slide. Going to come back to that. The next thing he says is at the same time, pray for us too, that God may open a door for the message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Paul's in prison at the time for talking about his faith. It was simply the nature of the culture he was at. And then he said, pray that I should make it known as I should. Okay, re really simply, the passage says, okay, this be devoted in prayer for yourself and for a message of impact, of hope, in the gospel going out into the world. Now, I promised myself I wouldn't do this, low this entire football season, and nonetheless, here I will do it. I will refer to Tim Tebow. I said I wouldn't, but I will. I will not refer to him long because I am amazed at the level of publicity, but I like Tim Tebow. I mean, not personally, I've never met him. He seems a very likable guy. Very different than the people who follow him, honestly, but he seems a likable guy. But I'm pretty sure, I mean, you can put this in the high probability category. I'm pretty sure that God could give a rip if the Denver Broncos win a football game. I'm pretty sure that doesn't matter at all. I'm all for living whatever you do fully out for the sake of, of God, but I certainly don't believe when I do so. It's like, yes, you know, I, now I won. I won. Thank God. God helped me, helped me to win. Seriously? Why was he so mad at the Christians on the other team? <laughs> I know a few things that God wants to do in your life. Seriously, I, there's a lot of things I don't know. There's, I know a couple things God wants to do in your life, and I know this, when you pray, things will change. 
When you pray about the things that God actually longs to see in your life, things are actually going to change. Here are two things that I know God wants to see happen in your life. Number one, he wants to see your life transformed into what it was always meant to be. He wants you to be whole. He wants you to not be content with brokenness. He wants you to not be okay with managing your stuff. He actually wants to see your, lo- your life and your soul change. I-, I know this for lots of reasons. It says it all over the Bible. One of the places is in, in uh, another letter in the New Testament, Philippians 1, 6. It's essentially, to paraphrase, it says this. God says, what I began in you, I'm going to cl- complete it. That's my, that's my goal. That's, I'm going to complete what I started in you. The good work I began in you, I will bring to completion. It's going to come. It's going to happen. So I know that God is committed to that in you and I. Second thing I know he's committed to is he's committed to your life having purpose and having some impact for your life. Again, I could show you all sorts of, it's all throughout the Bible, but one of the places is in the, uh, the book of Acts, which is the history of the early church. And in the, in the first chapter, Jesus says this. He, he says to the, his followers, now you're going to go out and you're going to make an impact on the world around you. I'm going to give you power. And when you receive that power, you're going to see the world change. And so I, I know that God wants two things in your life. He may want others. I know he wants to see your life come to completeness, wholeness. I know he wants to transform your life, and I know he wants to see impact for your life. And I'm pretty sure he doesn't care if the last two minutes you can suddenly learn how to throw the football. I don't think he cares. He cares about your soul. And, and honestly, let me, let's be real. If, if you're playing a game, it matters to you whether you win or lose. And so there's some part of your soul which is in, invested in that, and, and I, I certainly believe God uses that and but let's be serious. When we pray God changes things, when we focus on the things that God actually cares about. Let me back up. Why do we lose hope? Why do we become powerless? Again, because we come to places in our lives where we believe that, you know, life has taught us better. We're realists, after all. Life has taught us better. We look at our expectations and we say, well, maybe I just shot too high. Maybe this is as good as it gets. Maybe, you know, see, my my foot is essentially, in a highly medical fashion, duct taped back together. That's not the way it's supposed to work. In other words, my foot didn't get healed. It got managed. You know, it's really, it's it's a sophisticated version of MacGyver. You got some duct tape and a little wire, I can make that thing get through it. I think that is often how we deal with our lives. We're, we're MacGyvering our lives. All we're doing is we're overcompensating, we're trying to balance, we're trying to, we're, we're trying to hide that, we're trying to cover it over, get better. Well, come on, let's be serious. I'm a realist. I've lived low these 52 years. I no longer believe all these sorts of things in my life can change. Life has told me otherwise. And so, clearly, that is not the picture that God presents for us. Again, you know me well enough to know I'm not going to blow smoke. I'm not going to tell you, you know, you should just, you know, prayer changes. When you pray, pray, God changes things. Seriously, that sounds like a cross-stitch, right? When you pray, life changes. Oh, Okay. I'm glad I'm not overly optimistic. I am. It has its weaknesses, no question. I'm glad. I'm glad that Warehouse tends to be realistic because you know why? Because the only way we ever get better is when we say, there's something wrong here. And it would be really good if it changed. And I'm not okay with duct taping it. 
I realize it's just duct tape. God has two desires for you. Your life would be transformed and you would have an impact. Absolutely convinced about that. So why does prayer make that happen? It comes back to hope. Hope, biblically, is not, hey, God loves me, so things will probably go well later, right? Because we're Christians and every cloud has a silver lining and things will probably go better and I should just hope that things will get better. Biblical hope is this. It, it, what it is, it's like, it's an anchor for our lives. It's, the, it's that reality has shifted. Things which were not true are now true. And they're only hope because they affect our future and they feel at times a little bit untouchable. But reality has shifted. And this is how it's shifted. We talked about this some last week. If you believe in Jesus, if you ask him to forgive you, if you ask him to come into your life, then what he does is he changes who you are. You become a child of God. He promises that he will always walk beside you, that it will be in you, with you, and for you. Not for you in the fourth quarter of a football game, for you in your actual life. Well, so what is this prayer thing all about? Prayer is this. It's when I realize that God is for me. Absolutely for me. Always will be. And so when I come to him and I talk to him and I'm actually honest about what's broken in my life and then that meshes with his desire for me, his power actually comes to bear on that. See, that's where I, I went back to that verse that I didn't understand and where, where he says, keep alert and with, with thanksgiving. It, it struck me that the, the picture that he's giving is, it's, this is an ongoing conversation you're having with God. It, it's not simply I'm yelling out warning signs, but you can only have thanksgiving when there's been something that's going on, right? You, you know, you have, to, you have to be aware of a previous conversation. And, and so I get this picture as I look at this verse that what God's saying is that now be wary of what's going on in your life. In our ongoing conversation where good things are happening, where you're talking to me, where you're thanking me for things, you're connected to me. What Christianity promises you is a connection with God, an actual connection with God who has real desires for your life. And the magic, the power happens when God's desire, your connection with him meets the real need in your life. Then things change. The problem is we believe the wrong things, practically. I mean, theoretically, no, but practically. I, I have to admit that there's some part of me and, and that <laughs> would view Christianity sort of like this. Well, you know, here, here's, here's what you got. Okay, God forgives you. Awesome. Go to heaven when you die. Life sucks. I know a lot of you. There's some part of you that believes that too. What you believe is you'll go to heaven, that's great. You're going to be forgiven, awesome. Life sucks. Don't, don't raise your expectations too high. It's false. That needs to die. That's a place that simply bases our hope for change on us, on how our circumstances currently look, on how much courage I can have, on how little fear I can show. It's false. God forgives you. He'll take you to heaven when you die. He intends to see the moments of your life altered. The place of courage comes with 
can we be aware of the warning signs? Can we be bold enough to look at our lives and say, God, this is what I want and this is where I'm not yet? Can we, can we do that? And then ask God to enter there. Because the problem with God entering there is then, you know, that may actually get exposed and there's all sorts of nonsense there. Can I ask God into the center of my real issues in my life? At the end of the day, this is what I want. And at the end of the day, this is, I'm pretty sure, what God wants for all of us. At the end of the day, I want to see God make me more like him, like I was supposed to be. I want to not be content with duct tape. I want to use it when I have to until God brings it to completion. At the end of the day, I want to be whole, and I know that's what God wants for me. So if I'm not believing that, it's not, it's not about him. It's about, it's about me. And at the end of the day, I think he wants you and I to have an impact different than I thought it was. I would say that to be very, very frank with you, 20 years ago, 10, I don't know, three, what did I want? What did I believe impact looked like for me? You know, I want to be on Wikipedia. Now, 20 years ago, I didn't because there was no such thing. I want to Google my name, and I'm everywhere. Honestly, I mean, I could tell you otherwise, but that's true. Honestly, Google me, wow, Bruce Martin, he's everywhere. Look at there's this picture, what it says about him is he's really humble. And yet, his impact is so pervasive, it's stunning. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I want to be humbly magnificent. And everyone to know that. And there's the insidious part of that that lived that way that lived not for the right things, but lived to have impact in the way I defined it, which says that what my name would be known. I, I'm pretty sure I don't want that anymore. I don't, I don't care. You know why? I, I'm absolutely positive in the light of day that that's not what God asks any of us. It's not what he wants. That in the, in the end, what impact looks like, it looks like loving other people well. And part of that love is, uh, of course, telling them that they can have hope, that there's a God who's actually there, who loves them, who died for them. I, I want to love people well, and I want to live comfortably in my own skin before God. I want to be honest before Him about where I am. I want to see His power invade my life in that way. And there's a, a significant part of me that I think for the first time in my life say, I'm, I, I, don't really, I don't really care if it goes beyond that. And I look at this passage, and I see what Paul says is, Pray that I should make it known, the message, the message of the gospel, that there's a, there's, a, there's a God who loves us, who sent his son to die for us, that we can have a relationship with him, be connected, and have impact and, and change to wholeness again. Pray that I make that message known as I should. I, I just There's something about that, and I still haven't fully grasped, but there's something about that that I love. Pray that I should make it known as I should. It assumes that I could make it known as I shouldn't. And then he goes on and he says, Conduct yourself with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity, and let your speech, speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer everyone. I like the Food Network. I do. I love cooking shows. And not, not like cooking with Paula or something. I mean, those don't. I like the competition. 
I do. There's, there's something about those that I find fascinating. And one of the things that you'll see, like Gordon Ramsay, look at someone's food, and he'll, eat, and he'll go, did you, did you season it at all? And, and, and that's a big thing in these shows is, did you season it? Did, and really what that means is, did you put some salt on it? And some of these, some of these chefs, you realize, they, they carry salt and pepper with them because what they know is that what salt does is it brings out the flavor. It, it brings out the joy in something. It can be pretty bland without it. And so I look at this verse and I think, th- there ought to be joy. There ought to be flavor to our conversations and to our impact. It ought not to be drudgery. It ought not to be begrudging. It, when we talk about a message of hope, peop- it ought to be happy. There ought to be joyfulness. There ought to be something that's, that sparks. There's some beauty in that. And so what I would say that in short is, you want to have impact in the world, please don't do it because you should. Nobody needs that. You know, I'm going to serve the homeless because... I really should. You know, God loves me. They're less fortunate than I, and that would probably be a good thing to do. Please, please spare other people that. There's no joy there for you or for them. The better question is to ask God, God, why is there no joy when I seek to love people? I seriously thought when I first became a Christian, and maybe for the first 20 years, that what you were supposed to do is get forgiven, and then, it, you know, God sort of evaluated your life after that and, and, and really judged if you did certain things well. And if you didn't, then you were kind of in trouble. You were still in the kingdom, but you were sort of on the outside. And you could get moved into the inner circle by doing things better. And impact was around how many things you did and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, it's just, it's just incredibly false. God wants to change your soul. He wants to bring you joy. He wants to see that pervasive. So you talk to your neighbor about Jesus, not because, oh, I should. He's been beside me a long time, and I've never said anything. But because there's joy in it. Because you like your neighbor. Or because you don't. And you hope for something greater in his life or her life. You, You serve in a homeless ministry because you actually love those people. You want to see joy and dignity because you believe something fundamentally about who God is and about who people are. Prayer changes things because there's actually a God who longs to see stuff happen in our lives. And when we are in conversation with him and honest about our lives and bring our issues before him, he unleashes his power to change those very things. And so, as we close this portion of the service, I'm going to give you 30 seconds as opposed to three minutes. It did not three minutes seem long, but I did time it. I'm going to give you 30 seconds. Whatever you thought about in the beginning, whatever that thing was, that you are powerless, whatever you've given hope on that you know you probably should not have given hope on, given up hope on, I want you to bring that back again. I want you to bring that back before God. And if it's something that you know, this is in God's wheelhouse of what he loves to do in people, bring it back to him and ask him to be active in that exact place in your life. I'm going to give you about 30 seconds, and then I'm going to leave some prayer.
Lord, while we long to be realistic about ourselves, we also want to be realistic about you. And realistic about you is kind of a big deal. Reality has shifted because you are the God who architected our soul and architected this universe and very specifically says to us, you are my daughter, you are my son. I long to and intend to bring wholeness to your life. I long to and intend to bring impact through you. And then you call us to come before you in that ongoing conversation of real issues, real need, real joy, and ask you to engage in that very place of the brokenness, of the marring, of the slippage in our lives. Oh, Lord, be near to our souls. Let us hear you well and trust you greatly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now as we move into this part of our service, our time of response, we always begin with our offering. It's a way for us to articulate the concept. It's God who comes after us relentlessly. It's God who comes to live within us. And then out of the fullness of that, he calls us to move back toward him and to the world around us. Uh, now, if you would, please stand and receive the benediction. May you walk out today knowing that hope is real. God is for you. The Son of God came to earth to live, died, and rose for you. The moment you receive that, from that day and every day forward, God has always been your God. Always been in with you, with you, and for you. From that day and every day forward, you have the love of God your Father. You have the grace of Jesus that covers over all of your sin. And you have the presence of the Spirit in your life. Now go in peace.